Welcome to episode 352 of the Recruitment Marketing and Sales Podcast. And I am normally your host here. So this is Denise Oyston from Superfast. Instead, we've got Sharon and we've got the lovely Joe Major. And this is one of our expert interviews that we uh, we record uh, every, uh, every month or so. And uh, today we're talking with Joe about all things DEI. And DEI is so important for recruitment companies at the moment and employment in general, not only in the UK, but across the globe, obviously. Now, Joe is a recognized expert in the recruitment space about DEI. So we wanted to get her onto a podcast to actually tell us what is going on at the moment, what organizations need to be thinking about when it comes to DEI in their uh, teams, and also how you as recruiters could help them. Plus, that all important uh, point is how do you include that element of DEI in your marketing when you're reaching out to companies to, uh, to, to help them and also profiling yourself as somebody that really knows, understands and can work with DEI. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Recruitment, Marketing and Sales Podcast. An obsessive focus on marketing and sales is the only way to accelerate your agency growth. So listen in now as we share the latest strategies and techniques guaranteed to deliver you more placements and profit. Hi, Joe. Hi. And welcome to the Recruitment, Marketing and Sales podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on today. Um, Now, I know we've had a a good sort of conversation uh, prior to this. And and maybe just for listeners, it would be great because I know that some people will know about you and we will have some listeners who won't. So maybe the best thing to do is let me just ask you to introduce yourself and just give a bit about your background and and I guess I'm really curious about how did you get into, you know, this whole world of diversity, equity, inclusion? Because I know it's a massive passion. It is. It is. Two very big questions. So I'm going to try and keep it really short. And so uh, firstly, thank you so much for your interest in my work and for having me on the podcast. It's, it's great. It's great to talk. Any opportunity that I can get to talk to influence influences in the recruitment space about EDI makes me very happy. Um, so in terms of my background, um, so I've been in the recruitment space now for coming up to 22 years. I spent around 17 and a half years of that time actually on desk as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, various different capacities across different industries sometimes managing teams, sometimes building new disciplines and new areas and specialisms out. Mm. Um, I've done everything from kind of really quick, fast turnaround contract work to C-suite level retained work. Yeah. And um, yeah, worked across a whole range of of, of different, uh, different types of industry. I... I kind of like fell into fell into recruitment, but I also fell into which most people do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That typical <laughs> story after studies, I wanted to go traveling, thought I'd get a job in a utilities company, rocked up at a deco, and they're like, "Hey, come and work for us." And 
it was supposed to be short term and 22 years later. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I've obviously changed uh, my position in the role that I take within the industry. Mm. And that really came off the, it was, it, it was unexpected. Um, it was a, an opportunity. It was, it was down to opportunity, working for the right people at the right time. Mm. Um, but also, triggered by my own experiences as well yeah I'd um I join a a recruitment business who at the time were having some big kind of changes around kind of culture and leadership and for the first time as a recruiter became quite aware that perhaps I didn't necessarily fit into the type of environment that I joined right and my identity and my background and my circumstances had, had never really played a part in my experience of work. Um, mm. And I mean, you know, it, it was it was nothing super dramatic, but there were just a few things that made me think, oh, that feels a bit, you know, uncomfortable. Yeah. And if I kind of like thought about it in that way, I wonder if that could have an effect on my trajectory or my career within this business. Anyway, instead of getting worried about it instead of running away from the situation I decided to have a conversation with my then um, leader chief exec and started to have conversations around what we could do around evolving our culture and being more aware of inclusion and equality and diversity and mm. all of that lovely stuff and in, yeah, like instead of going with the problem, I was very much kind of solutions focused. And these are the things I think we need to be thinking about. Wasn't expecting the outcome of that conversation to be, okay, then crack on. <laughs> you know, Get on and do it. What yeah, what yeah, what 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 do you what could it look like? We'll, mm. you know, we'll leave that responsibility to you, which was great. Um, and at the same time, an internal learning and development role had come up. So it kind of made sense to be doing that internal sales training piece for recruiters, but also mm. to start my own journey of actually right. understanding what EDNI should look like in the recruitment business. Yeah. And that is very much where my journey of self-education really, really started Got several you. years ago. Mm. And, you know, fast forward a few years and I just spotted a a bit of a gap in the market where I felt that there wasn't enough support around EDI in the recruitment industry. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. you know what, I'm going to pull together my experience of recruitment and my interest in education to date mm. and my LD experience and produce something that's really going to help the industry. Right. That's an actual <laughs> here we are today. And here we are today, yeah. I mean, there's I, I guess it's been quite a journey, you know, for the industry in recent mm. years. Um, I mean, from from what's happened so far, you know, wh- where do you think as an industry, where are we? And what are some of the challenges that we, we still need to face? Mm. I think there are some pockets of really, really good work done, being mm. done by some brilliant recruitment businesses. Mm. I think that we are, we've still got a lot of work as an industry to to, to do to do I don't think we fully acknowledge the role that we play if I'm completely honest mm. I think that we are perhaps not gearing ourselves up for the response that we will need to take right. when that pressure from clients becomes more prevalent yeah yeah 
I think it's still seen as a CSR piece, as a something a bit fluffy. I think we're still failing to miss the opportunity as an industry to use our influence for good. Mm. But I feel that it could be almost by coming up with a solution, being able to support our clients. We've almost got Mm. to look at ourselves in the mirror and take some level of responsibility as to the reasons why some of our clients remain so overrepresented. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. And, and I guess I've got sort of two things that come like whizzing around in my head. You know, one, one is when you talk about, you know, CSR, that there's a bit of a heart sink factor around, you know, elements of like a tick box, mm. uh, kind of like exercise, should we say. But I guess the other thing is really that the sort of like the big thing is, you know, when when people talk about ED&I, um, I think there are probably different levels of understanding mm-hmm. about what that really means mm-hmm. and you know is is there an element of la- lack of understanding let's say you know amongst you know ourselves as businesses in the recruitment sector that that as you say from an education point of view that we need to take some responsibility and address because until we do that mm-hmm. and we start let's say walking our talk then are we going to be in the best position to then, you know, either lead clients. Mm. Um, so, I mean, what, what, without kind of like going into lots of detail about definitions and everything, you know, what, what does it mean for you? And I guess what's the message that you're wanting us as recruitment companies, um, you know, and marketeers in the industry to, to mm. take away? I think it is, there's a, there's a couple of things in there. I think that, that first point that you made around, um, what we're trying to do right now is solve a problem or come up with solutions to something we don't have an education on. So I've been listening, watching, reading for four or five years now, and I'm still yeah. not the finished product. You'll never hear the word expert being bandied around by me. Mm. Um, and, I, and I absolutely don't believe that we can strategically solve a problem that we, do, that we don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, we, we don't really look about the systemic reasons that overrepresentation uh, that that's created overrepresentation and resulted mm. in underrepresentation. Mm. Um, and from a systemic, uh, you know, when I refer to that, I mean the systems and processes that we've had as an industry, but also our clients have have, have had from an internal process um, uh, perspective that have resulted in some people not being able to get the job that they want, get shortlisted, yeah. get interviewed, mm. get the promotion that they deserve, be paid properly simply because mm. of their identity background and circumstance. Yeah. And a lot of what I do is to really get recruiters like on that journey of ed- education to actually understand that we don't live in this, we don't live in a meritocracy. We don't, there is, there's yeah. no such thing as meritocracy in recruitment. As much as we would love to believe that if you send the applications, you you know, you work as hard as you can at your interview technique, you mm. know, you 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 graft in your job and you work your way up and you world's your oyster. Technically that's not correct, right? Mm. And I think a lot of it, it's not necessarily down to the recruitment industry. I think the recruitment process, the world of work hasn't evolved. 
Mm. We we still very much model the world of work from 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 the 1950s model. Yeah, yeah. And yes, we've seen some pockets of evolution and change, but I, I don't think we have progressed in a way that we think we have. Yeah. And definitely from a you know from a recruitment perspective, we are still a lot of us operating this like one size fits all, a one size fits all process that has made lots of recruitment businesses incredibly successful that has helped to scale up businesses at speed. Mm. And in that process, we've left a load of folks behind. Behind. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and the work that I do is to really get recruiters to understand that just because they may not have faced barriers into, into work, because they've not been held back by their circumstances or 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 background in their careers doesn't mean that the problem doesn't you know doesn't exist yeah and that people are not just underrepresented or overrepresented because it's just happened like that it, mm-hmm. it down to the you know the decisions that we've been made and the processes that we put in yeah. place and the way that we hire and the way that we recruit yeah. and human nature Mm. and I guess that's what it's often I'll find that absolute when I'm training a a group of folk who've never really thought about it and we'll hold a mirror up to ourselves me included in terms of our behaviors how Mm. we make decisions about candidate suitability and we're like ah okay right now I see just how much my bias and preference is playing into this now I see how building that recruitment model automatically causes deselection at that point by that group of people now I understand why that group of people would never want to apply for this job because the language that I use the way that I marketed it does that Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I guess it reminds me of a real classic sort of like, you know, business quote around, you know, the results that we're getting today are a consequence of the decisions that we've made in the past. Yes. And if the results aren't what you want, well, you know, that's because of some of the decisions that we've made. So we need to be yeah. making some different choices and some different decisions. Yeah. And, and I guess that is just as relevant in this conversation, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. And absolutely. so... You know, I guess in terms of some of the, um, where, where would you see some of the biggest gaps that we've got in in the industry? I think, I mean, if we're just looking at our industry alone, okay, and I never want to kind of like make blanket statements about people's identity because we can't mm. necessarily, I can't say, we lack a lot of representation from this group or that group because we haven't even got that data as an industry, right? No. That, yeah. um, the REC and APSCO went out to the sector 18 months ago to try and get gain that information. Mm. And that project fell flat on its face. We couldn't get the information. Really? Right? Nobody's holding the information. We could, yeah, we couldn't yeah, get yeah. we couldn't get the data. So talking, right. you know, I guess from a from a from from my experience and, and not talking yeah. on behalf of others mm. um, in the industry, I've, I've experienced a massive lack of people who are like me. So a massive, I, uh, limited female role models. Mm. Um, you know, I've worked for many, many organizations that are from a, from a, from a gender perspective representative to a certain point. Yeah. And then we start to see kind of like, you know, a big gaping hole in terms of when people tend to leave. And mm-hmm. I've seen incredibly successful female leaders 
um, take time out of work for the obvious reasons to reproduce yeah. and mm-hmm. keep keep the human race going, and then struggle to then come back into the, posi- right. the position because we just yeah. we're just not agile enough, we're not flexible mm-hmm. enough, we're not, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 like I say, the model of work isn't supportive for for, yeah. for for women to or people who have children to then come back into the workplace and be where they left off with the changes made the you know to 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 accommodate their mm. you know them 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 in the world of work. Um so definitely you know from that kind of from a from a gender perspective I, I think I'm fair it's fair for me to say that that we definitely like female representation. Yeah. I think that um we from an age perspective it still baffles me that there are many many recruitment businesses who do not represent the candidate community that they serve mm. you know where their average age is 25 26 of their recruiter mm. population mm. and then we start, start to talk about okay talk to me about your your clients and your candidates and we're talking about kind of mid-career senior career folk mm. and I think that is a I I do not buy into the fact that a rec- the, rec- the career of a recruiter is a young person's game. I think we've made it a young person's game, game because yeah. you can only hold down this career when you're in your early 20s, perhaps, mm. you know? Mm. And I, I I struggle to understand that lack of age representation Mm. I, I really do. You're either heavily weighted at the top by an older generation, yeah. sat above a team of very, very young people, but you don't you don't see representation throughout. And like I said, the data's not there, but yeah. I know that the noise has definitely been there around disability. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lots of initiatives, lots of awards, lots of acknowledgement mm-hmm. for the work that's been done by the sector when it comes to disability Mm. can I recall the number of times I've worked with somebody who has been open about their disability Mm. no no absolutely not so Mm. we might be on the surface we might be looking to uh, do something about that lack of representation and making Mm. the recruitment industry more accessible Mm. but I that you know it's always going to be the proofs in the pudding and you could argue, well, you've not got the data. And a large percentage of disabilities are hidden. But I still work with people that I know have hidden a disability because well, of. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking at the same, as you were talking about that is that, um, you know, if we, if we don't have open conversations and an environment and cultures mm. where, um, you know, a, we inquire and people are encouraged to sort of like, you know, be, be open and, and honest, mm. um, you know, with things, then they're, they're going to stay hidden on. And, and so it doesn't matter how much effort you put into stats, the stats aren't going to be valid because you've mm. not got a culture there that is, is open and encouraging people, mm. um, you know, even, even down to, you know, encouraging women back into the workplace um, you know, and with everything, I mean, you know, I feel quite sad in a way when you, you know, just listening to you talk about the fact that, and I, and I know that, that there are so many young people in the industry, um, 
you know, and I guess I can think of some rec to rec clients that we've worked with, you know, who have shared, you know, perhaps, I suppose when you joined the industry sort of 23 years ago, you know, what it was like and the hours that people worked. And then I can think of another client who is fully remote as a result of COVID. Um, they live in the opposite part of the country to where their, their business was originally based. They've got a remote team where it's working fantastically well. Um, you know, and I've, I've even interviewed some of these um, uh, team members and, you know, they, 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 they have flexible working and, you know, they, they might still do an hour or so or 90 minutes at night, Joe, but, but the thing is, they're not doing that in an office till eight o'clock at night. And they mm. might have been to the gym for 90 minutes in the day. And mm. they're quite happy to jump back on the PC when the kids are back in bed or take a phone call at seven. But, you know, they've got the control. They've got the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that can certainly work for younger people. But and actually, I'm talking about, you know, probably early 30 type people really here. But it's it is a shame. I hadn't realized quite how strongly that demographic really is imprinted us mm. around the 25 year olds mm. yeah. um, and, and this and I think we've um we've built this the, the rhetoric that we built around the culture of the of, of the recruitment industry mm. um the, some of the best recruitment businesses that I've worked for have been a pretty much a 50 50 split of recruiters and industry professionals Right, and when they yes. brought in the industry professionals, it's really changed the the dynamics. Oh it's changed the representation, mm. and those businesses tend to be, um, from an average age perspective, older. They tend right. to be people tend to be more representative of society. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the, I mean, we could talk about like the stereotypes of unfounded stereotypes of good recruiters, you know, until the cows come home, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, the work hard, play hard. The fact that you need to be a massive extrovert, you know, the 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 language that we use around um, thinking, thinking ability, fast paced, physical ability, um the out of hours stuff that's built around what I love to do when I was 24 right yeah yeah so the, the drinking culture the yeah. um the, you know the Ibiza trips the Marbella trips um and all there's nothing wrong in that but that if that's what if I say to you what's your culture and you talk about those things that's where the the, the challenge lies right yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're only ever going to attract people who want to be part of that. Oh, and yeah. I talk a lot in training, the difference between workplace culture and social culture. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think there are too many organizations that are obsessed in social culture and not workplace culture. Mm-hmm. And this why this why this feeds into, you know, the, the whole EDI piece is because if if we want to attract the the, the missing candidates from the workplace pressures piling on from clients yeah yeah. we need to be representative of the communities that we want to serve right Mm. because people who are underrepresented are more likely to face discrimination and prejudice because of the background identity and circumstance they need to be confident that that recruiter understands their world Mm. and can offer empathy and support yeah and isn't going to knock them off the shortlist because they're a bit nervous about the fact that 
they're getting married next year or they yeah. just mentioned that they've got a long-term health challenge or mm. they need an adjustment at the interview process mm. yeah interesting always a lot of food for thought here so <laughs> so thinking then because i i guess um you know, let's let's come up just to handle this one first you were talking obviously i think earlier about the role that perhaps you know as an industry we have educating clients there's clearly a huge a huge journey that as an industry that we still need to go through ourselves in order to do that but you know what what can we do to i i guess to support clients you know, in, in the journey that they have, because there will be, you know, we're already hearing, you know, lots of clients talk about they are being pressed for, um, you know, diverse shortlists. You do wonder how much of that is tick box versus mm. the desire for, mm-hmm. you know, I guess, cultural development and, and that being a diverse culture. I mean, yeah, what what are your thoughts there? And and I know it's it's a big it's a big question. So yeah, it is. I'm going to break it down into two parts, yeah. if, that's, if that's okay. So I think from a developing our products and services perspective, we've got an amazing opportunity. Um, our clients look to, look to us for our consultation, for mm. our expertise, for our insight on the market, on the salaries that have been paid, on the behavior of competitors, on the latest mm. technical skills, for example. Yeah. We pride ourselves on the fact that we are consultants, that we're yes. not just, you know, CV matches and, and what have you. So why not add an additional string to our bar? Why not add an additional um, piece that's going to be able to support our clients? Yeah. And it might be a, it might be the point that you mentioned before about okay, so there's still low. We're not all of us are, are there just yet. Mm. But inclusive recruitment doesn't take years to understand and embed. No, you know, five weeks with me, and you've got thirty things that you can go back to your desk and change, yeah. and you can pass on those changes and recommendations to your clients. So we're not talking mm. about like you know well, rocket science here. We're mm. just talking about techniques that make recruitment more inclusive, accessible, and equitable yeah. for, for candidates. Yeah, and that's as that's as straightforward as you learning something new about your client's industry and then feeding that back to them and embedding it in the process right Mm -hmm. um so yeah I think we've got I I think ultimately those who embed EDI and inclusive recruitment into their client offering especially when it comes to the retained piece Mm -hmm. will will reap the benefits as they are prepared for that yes um I think another piece of what you were what you were saying in terms of like our responsibility so it's really key if we are and and a lot of recruiters pride themselves on being candidate centric okay and their their commitment to candidate experience and their commitment to candidate care now that can't stop when it comes to clients demand on when it comes to edni and i often refer some current client behaviors that I'm seeing as the identity shopping list so mm-hmm. anybody who's listening to me here you know tunes into the stuff that I talk about they'll always hear me banging on about the identity shopping list and this is where candidate clients are ticking boxes 
they're looking in their they're looking at the optics of their business they're not doing any type of diversity demographic or inclusion surveys they're just looking into the business and identifying or jumping to conclusions about communities that are missing from their organizations and usually that's driven by suppliers or customers or the board or an er case for mm. example and they feel that the solution, the easiest way to address this solution of a lack of representation, a lack of diversity, is to get the identity shopping list out when they're briefing a, a, a recruiter. So being very, very specific about who they want on that group, right. like they are buying their groceries yeah. in Sainsbury's. Mm. These are some clients who are not prepared to look at the fundamental reasons as to why they have an overrepresentation problem and people mm. that are underrepresented are not currently sat in their business being successful yeah. and thriving. Yeah. And it's hiring in, let's just hire in, let's hire yeah. ourselves out of our diversity problems. Mm. And for me, where where that where that becomes problematic for recruiters who are candidate centric and focus on candidate care it's getting recruiters to really understand their responsibility that this isn't just a this isn't just shopping for vegetables in mm. Sainsbury's right yeah. this is about putting human beings into environments where they are the potentially the only one where yeah. they are potentially mm. um going to be exposed to discrimination and prejudice mm. or at the very least you know, daily microaggressions. Mm. And I think candidates are, they're aware of the fact that all of a sudden they've never been so popular, mm. right? I've spoken to various candidates um, who've said, I, it, I have never, ever been so popular as a senior woman. I have mm. never been so popular as somebody who's openly from the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Doors yeah. that have remained closed to me have suddenly opened, right? Mm. And candidates are well aware, they, and they don't want to be the only. They don't want to, you know, they, they don't want mm. to be going into these types of environments because we we know that that's, that can be hugely detrimental, not only to their yeah. careers, but yeah. also their lived experience and their mental health, right? Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, you know, a part of my work is giving recruiters the confidence to be able to say to clients who are pulling out the identity shopping list is to be able to like really qualify the work that's been done mm. and to verify that that client is in a position where they their their working environment their culture is going to be a safe one for, for yes. candidates who are underrepresented yeah so it's really you know protecting candidates and making sure that candidates are central to their work and mm. making sure that they're not supporting performative behavior yeah and at the same time by asking questions spotting the pain points of the clients to be able to come up with solutions like you would do taking yeah yeah any new project on for a yeah from a, from a client so I know that was a massive answer but yeah yeah, but no, I mean, it's it's a big topic, isn't it? You know, mm. we, could, we could chat all afternoon about it. Um, thinking then about, um, let, let's say, let's just break it down a little bit. Let's say you've got, um, you know, some smaller recruitment companies and they are at the early stages of looking to develop their marketing so that they can 
address some of the issues around DE&I, you know, even, you know, thinking about, you know, ads, you've already mentioned language that people use. What, what do you think are some real practical steps that, that companies can take, Joe, when they're thinking about their marketing mm. in general? Um, and that's not just job ads, that's, you know, other kinds of different elements yeah. of their marketing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really good question. The first thing I would recommend is like you would, with any launch of any new product or service, you would look at it from a branding perspective. So mm. I recommend to any marketeers that I, uh, first of all, it should never just be a marketing thing, right? Yes. But the challenge is how do we start talking about that? How do we get the confidence to talk about it? And mm. without the marketing, nobody's ever going to know know what you're doing yeah and some folks don't want to start the marketing journey until they've got all the ducks in a row which will take them years and then they'll never start right yeah yeah so first of all it's about like making sure that what you're doing is authentic so sitting down as a team and talking about your why and your motivation why is edni important to us why are we on the journey doesn't have Mm. to be you know a document it can be a a paragraph, an authentic paragraph that clearly sets out your reasons for starting on this journey. Yeah. And that can be used Mm. internally by people and obviously in your external piece as well. Yeah. I think looking at rather than thinking about kind of like the initiatives piece, I'm not a fan of the initiatives piece because I don't think that initiatives solve problems. Mm. It's it's really looking at, okay, what are the the practical things that we're going to change in our recruitment business and across our recruitment culture in the next six months? And how do we talk about those to our external community in a really authentic way? And in a way that inspires our client community to follow suit. Mm. So I'm more about um, if you're going to talk about DNI, you have to talk about your why and your motivation, but you've mm. got to talk about what you're doing. Yeah. And you've got to talk about your small and quick wins as well. I think if you are looking at it from a, you know, you've got all your different pillars of communication, a secondary pillar of communication could be from an advocacy perspective. So thinking about, and this is and this is not necessarily just led by marketing, it's looking at things that are really important to your inter- your business. So if you've got a small mm-hmm. team of 10, looking, actually talking to them from an identity background and circumstance perspective, what is important to you, right. you know, and actually, mm-hmm. so you've got, so you're not necessarily going out and having an external conversation about things and your internal team are going, hang on a minute. But but yeah. I've not been part of this. Yes. So you're talking about, um, you know, you're 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 making loads of noise about pride, and I'm sat here as a member of the LGBTQ plus community in the business, and no one's ever had a conversation about my lived experience in this organisation. Yeah. So that's why it's really important to take your team with you. Yes. Look yeah. at the things that those folks are passionate about, because if they're mm-hmm. passionate about it, they're bound to support your marketing work, your comms yeah. work. And then, Sharon, I would anything that you do from an external advocacy perspective, and I'm talking about, you know, your your LinkedIn post, your social media Mm. stuff, it should always be centered around educating whoever's reading it. Right. And thinking, right, what are the takeaways from this piece of information I'm putting out? What Mm. is the ultimately the impact on somebody who's from this community? Yeah. If you are drawing a blank, that's, you know, it, it, it doesn't go out 
yeah. if you're like, I can clearly see the purpose of this and how it in- yes. how it educates yeah. and inspires action. So, and I think you advocacy and being really clear on when, where you stand from an equality perspective has got to be a pillar of communication. Yeah. And if you mm. wrap it around the things that matter to your team, it's not going to be performative. No. Yeah. Because I think that there are there are so many different elements yes. there, of, you know, D, E and I. And, you know, let's say even large organizations can have challenges, you know, handling everything. But if we don't start with some elements and if you can take those initial elements from your own team and start working on that and learning from that and then growing out I I absolutely get that otherwise you're just going to have a mismatch misalignment unhappy staff they're going to leave and then you're going to have another problem on your hands aren't you so absolutely absolutely get that um and and also just picking up on something you were saying um so even though, let's say, you know, some of these companies may well be, you know, at relative early stages that to have, I think what I'm hearing you say, Joe, is to have the courage and the confidence to, to say we're at the early stages. This is what we're doing. We're going to do these one or two, three key things in the next few months. And this is what we want you to experience and, and let us know how we do it and come on the journey with us right. and have the courage to be open and public about it. Um, and I guess that means that they might make a few little, you know, it'll be a bit of a rocky road initially, but yet they're on the journey and they'll learn from it. Um, I mean, is that, am I right? that, that you, Yeah, that's what I, think, I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're, you're totally right in what you said. It's about um, being like being open and honest about where you're at on your journey. No pointy fingers. Yeah. Indicating that you've got this, that you know yeah. what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, actually inviting other people to give you advice, especially mm. from your candidate community. Yeah. Um, okay, we want to improve this for this group. We yeah. thought about these four things. Mm. Are we on the right track? track. What yeah. would you contribute? Yes. That's always yeah. been my so that's kind of the, the approach that I take in my social media. I never I don't do the, you know, the pointing fingers and don't I know everything. It's like mm. this is what I've been thinking about. I might be almost there, but what does everybody else think? So I don't end up talking on behalf of the people then. Yes. And it opens up discussion. Yeah. I think it's a really yeah. powerful thing to to actually reach yeah. out to your community. And yeah. also I will I'll always encourage my recruitment businesses to collaborate with the clients. The mm. one one thing where there is no competition as to who gets there first is equality. Mm. Right? Mm. It's not a USP. No, no. <laughs> um and anybody one, can claim that can they yeah and you're all on a journey I don't think there are any clients yeah. out there that are totally nailing any of this no so I encourage my recruiters I'm like please identify the people within your core client group who are doing the work and who may need the support of a round table or a networking group and build yeah. a community that you're on a journey with fantastic I love that that's a fabulous idea yeah and share everything and create a safe space for people to go oh no don't do that that was a total disaster actually we did this and it's really worked we've seen its impact on our applications or on our client journey yeah um and you know we're we're really happy building up 
communities of HR directors and heads of talent and chief execs. Yeah, yeah. Let's start doing the same for the folks within the businesses that are leading yeah. on this stuff. They might not be necessarily a director of DNI, but mm. they might be a chair of an employee resource group internally. Yes. And it's all about learning and perspective and sharing mm. different experiences and different approaches. Yeah. And not having all the answers because you've no. only got one, you've only got your own frame of reference, right? Yes. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, you know, that here you are talking about, you know, you've you've been doing this work now for sort of like, you know, four or five years, you know, and the last thing you want to be labeled as as a, is an expert. And and I think, you know, even when you listen to the media, it, it's it's such a massive topic and we're just learning and learning and discovering things all the time from people's experiences that, that, you know, are being exposed and everything and people having the courage to speak out. So it, it is going to be, you know, um, step by step, but if we just take small steps and we keep taking them and moving forward um, and something that came to me as you were talking about and sharing that fabulous idea, by the way, um, was in a partnership you know, collaboration and partnership. And, you know, I do see in lots of marketing, you know, we want to be your recruiting partner. You know, we've got a very collaborative approach. Here is, I can't think of a better example where, you know, a client and a, and a recruitment company can walk alongside here and, and candidates actually come together to, to actually really partner on, on this particular journey. It's just, yeah. Fabulous opportunity. Yeah, yeah. We just need to, to learn. We need to facilitate those conversations. Yes. We need to, I think it's really important that we give underrepresented candidates an opportunity and a space yeah. to be able to advise us as an industry. Yes. Yeah. Because on this, we're not the experts. No, absolutely not. No, definitely. Well, I could talk to you for ages and I think we might have to reconvene at another time and just develop this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But um, listen, thank you so much for your time, Joe. It's been so insightful. And I know, I know there's going to be conversations certainly with our clients on, on the back of this as well. And I've no doubt some of the ideas that you shared will, will get a lot of people thinking and hopefully get them taking some action mm. and, and inspire them to be, bit more courageous with with the work that they do as well so thank you so much it's been fantastic thank you so much for having me it's been great welcome enjoyed our conversation we'll talk again soon thank you if you enjoy this podcast and you are ready to take your marketing to the next level then maybe it's time that you check out superfast circle because as a member of superfast circle we are with you every single step of the way as you start to elevate your marketing to a new level. You get weekly calls, you get an online training uh, platform that you can access anytime, anywhere, on any device. You have events that you can uh, attend. We have a tech genius that can help you with your, uh, your technology. And you also get your marketing collateral provided for you every single month that you are a member of the circle. So if you would like to know more, then head over to superfastrecruitment.co.uk forward slash SFC. Have a look at what's involved, what's included, and then book a call with one of us and we can talk you through exactly what the next steps are. We'll give you a demonstration of the program 
and we'll, we'll have a conversation about how this can work for you and your recruitment and staffing business. So speak to you soon.